This is second in a series that we're doing now, um, following on from Robert Kennedy's visit uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, And we're looking at open-heartedness today. Last week, we looked at what it is to be true to ourselves. Being true, as um, Thomas Merton put it, being true to the concept that God utters in me. Because if I'm true to the thought of him I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. The idea of being true to the concept that God utters in us. And to do that, I said we really have to practice going beyond our rational minds to that place where we can begin to hear the word that God utters in us. Because if we've got all this stuff going on, often we just don't pick up the direction we're supposed to be going in. And to respond to that direction rather than the the dictates of our rational mind. And I said that in this, practice is the key. You know, whether it's meditation or walking in the mountains, just that practice We are a community here committed. We're committed to personal transformation through practice. And I said that traditionally, what we might expect from practice is insight, knowledge or experience. That's what people, you know, when they practice, they want to get enlightened at the end of it. You know, that's what we want. To see the world the way it really is. To have the insights that will allow us to live life in a better way. But I said that I think, in reality, these insights are actually only a secondary benefit. They may or may not come. And we know that, you know, that whole idea of enlightenment. It may or may not come. The true benefit, I said last week, of practice is going beyond our rational minds, of becoming your true self. The true benefit of that is open-heartedness. When you practice, your heart begins to open. And with that may come insight, the knowledge and the experience, but that's only secondary. It is the opening of the heart that is really the key benefit. Why is that? The reason I think that the heart opens through practice is that it's often our rational minds that keep our hearts closed. So that when we go beyond our mind we find that the chains that the mind has put on our hearts begins to drop away. Our minds really are there to help us get through life. And therefore, our minds do tend to be cautious. First of all, they're constantly judging. We know that, you know, as we look around at people, you know, we make judgments about them almost immediately. We make judgments about circumstances you know, right now, all of you are judging what's going on here. You know, your mind's going, oh, it's very interesting. You know, I wonder where he's going to go, how long this is going to go on for, you know. Looking at your watches, you know, you're making those judgments. And that's taking you away from being open-hearted to me in what I'm saying. And as a result of that, it makes us unwilling to be open-hearted. We reserve our hearts for those that deserve them. It tends to be our family, our friends those that we think are equals, 
you know, those that we judge worthy of our hearts. And so our minds use that judgment to reserve the heart. But once we get beyond our minds, our hearts automatically begin to open. It's interesting to think what a heart actually is, you know. Uh, you know, what is, you know, you, you, we bandy these phrases around, you know, your heart and open heart is... You know, your heart, of course, is the organ in your body that pumps the lifeblood around your body. And as such, you know, when we use the word heart, we use it as a, a metaphor, you know, for the lifeblood of the universe, which is love. You know, we talk about love coming from our hearts. And, you know, by love, I mean that nature that gives of itself freely. This idea sees life as being freely given. This whole idea is predicated on the fact that life is freely given by that divine source of all. You know, you're in a chapel, here I am, ordained, you know, we're going to have, that is a basic premise that there is a divine source of all, there is a fundamental ground of being, and that divine source gives us that love, that life. That life is freely given, it was to us, you know, we didn't choose to be alive, we didn't deserve to be alive, we just were. That life was given at the Big Bang, and it continues to be freely given. Christian theology says that God is love. I mean, when you try to get down to what is the actual nature, you know, they always say that it's ridiculous trying to think what God is. It is beyond us. It's, oh, I always, use, always say it's like a fish trying to understand what a cash register is. You know, really to speak about God, is, you know, we, we haven't got a clue. And, and, but we do know that there is a loving nature. We can think of God as being love, of freely giving this life force that we're a part of, that all may receive it. You know, none of us, as they earn the right to live. We just found ourselves here. And, you know, quite honestly, none of us knows what keeps us alive. We just find ourselves breathing, our hearts pumping blood around our bodies, and here we are that freely given life force that we're all benefiting from right now is what we call love. Love is, in fact, order given freely. And for us to fully participate with life, for our humanness to fully participate with the universe in life, we have to become love. Yeah, if love is what gives us our lives and love is what is there, for us really to participate, we have to become that love. That is to say, we have to give ourselves freely, just as we've been freely given to. I would really like to say that really love is the currency that makes the, love, the world go around. It's not money, it's not heat or energy or radiation or even gravity. It is that self-giving love. That's actually what produces those other manifestations. It pours itself out as a creative and evolutionary force that powers the universe in its development. Now, the universe is the macrocosm, and we are the microcosm. Just as the universe expands with that power of love, so we too are conduits for that love. And just as our heart pumps blood around our bodies and keeps us alive, 
So our heart center, that which we refer to as our hearts in a spiritual and an emotional way, pumps love around our lives. To be open-hearted is to allow love to freely flow through us and out to all that surround us. So what I'm saying is that our minds tend to get away in the way of that process. They judge. They also try to work out the outcomes. You know, they look ahead to see, you know, what's going to be right for us. And therefore they control our behavior in order to control those outcomes. It takes the fears that we have and it tries to deal with them. It tries to make them less. I have my diagnosis, so how do I combat that? You know, what must I do to stay alive? I'm wary about how people are going to treat me. So I'm suspicious of them and I don't give my heart freely. I'm worried about running out of money. So I'm very careful about what I spend and what I give. The mind is always trying to control those outcomes. And so it doesn't let us be, be free and open-hearted. Now, in a way, I think that's a good thing. Because, you know, in that, the mind is keeping us safe. But often that safety gets in the way of us being able to freely express ourselves. You see it in shyness, in people's ability to be genuine. You see it in meanness, in blame, in complaining, in anger. All aspects of the mind that stop us truly being open-hearted. But when you discipline the mind and drop down into your heart, it does become a different story. When you're not at the effect of your mind and you deliberately stop paying attention to your minds, but instead pay attention to your hearts, then you enter into a new paradigm. And I'm not now just talking about paying attention to your feelings rather than your thoughts, because your feelings, like your thoughts, are really just another product of the mind. You know, feelings are emotional. Feelings and emotions are really thoughts in shorthand. They're shorthand for the mind. You don't have to rationalize it. It just comes up in one great big splurge. A thought or a feeling, emotions just come up. They're shorthand for the mind. And they're helpful. They enable us. The mind enables us to move on. And not to say any of that is a bad thing. It's not. Both thoughts and feelings are vital to a healthy life. It's just that we have the luxury here of asking what is beyond thought-feeling. We have the luxury here to ask what is beyond thought-feeling. What happens when through walking or meditation or, or, or doing art or whatever means you do to go beyond that, that useful paradigm, you enter into a place where the mind is no longer in control? And the answer to that is you become open-hearted. Your capacity for love develops. Your ability to give develops. And as it does, your inclination to love and give also develop. And that includes love of oneself and others, the ability to relate and therefore have compassion, empathy, forgiveness and acceptance. Those all come from that open-heartedness. 
as I said, we are a community committed to personal transformation through practice. And this is how you do it. And that in turn leads to our ability to, to grieve, to, to move through life and let go and to reach peace. And in reaching peace, you really do have that ability to be open-hearted. All of that expands, expands our capacity to love. To be open-hearted is to expand our capacity to love and it enables us to bring heaven and earth together, to integrate our earthly and our spiritual aspirations. Because really the heart is also seen as the seat of the soul, the place where those two natures meet, the divine and the earthly. And so when we become open-hearted, those two natures begin to integrate. Our earthliness becomes divine. And our divineness becomes earthy. There is a a practical mysticism about these two natures coming together in open-hearted living. And you see it in people who are living in this way. You know, they tend to combine the spiritual and the practical. You know, look at Mother Teresa. Look at the Dalai Lama. Look at Nelson Mandela, at Gandhi, at Jesus. They're all practical people. As well, as well as having a sense of holiness about them. That open-hearted living. And of course, to do that, they go beyond their minds. And, and you know, what our mind tells us is going to take courage. To go beyond our minds, you know, we, we, we realize it's going to take courage. Nelson Mandela was asked, you know, don't you want revenge? And he said, yes but I want peace for my country more. That takes courage. And of course, the root of the word courage is in fact, yeah, core, the Latin for heart. And, you know, in French, heart is cœur. So the whole idea of courage is a heartedness about things. It is coming from your heart. The whole nature of courage is about coming from your heart rather than your mind. It is about transcending the mind. It looks foolish, but in fact, it's living open-heartedness. I love that famous passage from Ezekiel. It says it perfectly. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in a land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. There's that movement into the heart. And, and, And the New Testament version of that comes from Romans. You know, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. Will. Both these are saying the same thing. By living in an open-hearted way, by rather than living in a pinched and survivalist nature of your mind, you will naturally begin to discover the way of love that is in fact the decrees of God, that is her good and perfect will. We become, by doing that, we become love. And that is really your real purpose in life. If you want to know what your purpose in life is, by the way, your real purpose in life is to become love. 
to get and to give love, to be a conduit for love, to become part of the flow of love in the universe, to live in an open-hearted way is to fulfill our destiny in the universe. And in so doing, we advance the goodness that is in the world. So how does that feel in real life, to do that? How does that feel? Well, the truth is, I think it feels different for each one of us. Because each of us has a different relationship with both our hearts and our minds, based on our upbringing, based on what's happened to us. Some of us find it very difficult to go beyond our minds. We heavily identify with them. We feel justified by them. And they've shown us how to live properly. So to shut them off is difficult. Whereas others tend to live in their hearts naturally. They seem to have an ease and flow about them. They're less rigid and judgmental. And, you know, I think neither is good or bad. It's just a function of aptitude and the way that we've grown up. And, of course, it's somewhat of a luxury to live from our hearts. You know, if we were starving or living in a war zone, it's considerably more difficult. And it's often impractical in those circumstances not to live from our minds. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that you've got to get beyond your physiological needs of food, water, warmth and rest, beyond your safety and security needs, beyond your need for love and relationships, and beyond your self-esteem needs. And once you've done all that, and there are plenty of courses that you can do to do that, only then can you arrive at self-actualization. That's the process. Achieving one's full potential, which is to live in an open-hearted way. You know, we've got a privilege here of being in a place both geographically and in our lives where we really do have a chance to express ourselves in this way. And I think we are under an obligation to do so. If we have arrived at this level of safety, wealth and security, and don't progress in living in an open-hearted way, you know, what hope is there for the rest of the world? If we can't do it here, you know, our role is to express the efficacy of living in this way so that it becomes an example to others. You know, most of us go halfway. We're pretty nice to each other. We don't lock our doors. We experience ourselves as being part of a safe and nurturing community. But to some extent, it's still our mind telling us that it's okay to do that. And if our safety and security and money or health gets threatened in any way, our mind does tend to remind us what to do. Living living in an open-hearted way is going beyond that. It is truly dropping into our hearts and living from there. It's about living from that place of peace. I don't know if you saw Richard Raw's meditations this week, but one of them he said this week, he said, being peace deepens the practice of mindfulness, both formally in regular meditation as well as throughout the day as we receive every person and every event that enters into our lives. Through such mindfulness, we will more and more be able to understand whosoever we meet or whatever we feel, and so respond with compassion. 
Only with the peace that comes from such mindfulness or from the heart will we be able to respond in a way that brings forth peace for the event or the person or the feeling that we're dealing with. That is the process. And as a result of that, us coming from that place, our relationships change. We don't react or lash out in the same way. We're not surviving. We're living and loving as a part of the flow of the universe. And I think that, that's really what it takes to be open-hearted. We have to just move beyond the effect of our minds. Do you want to give it a try? Should we give it a try? Let's give it a try, shall we? Everybody stand up and take off your clothes. No, that's fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> what I want you to do, <laughs> forget about that, and just get rid of the, the thoughts in your minds about that. Okay, so what I'd like you to do, we're, we're going to have it, give it a go. I'd like you, if, if you feel comfortable, just to close your eyes. And first of all, just become aware of your thoughts. Aware of your thoughts about how your body's feeling. Maybe the ickiness of having to do this. I'm not a meditation person. I don't like doing this, whatever it is. Just notice all that going on. And now just put your attention on your breath. Notice yourself breathing in and breathing out. And put your entire attention on your breath. Feel the breath coming into your body. Feel yourself breathing it out. And deepen your breathing as you do that. And put so much attention on your breathing that you've got no room to think about anything else. Just being present to your breathing. Every breath in and every breath out. And when you notice the thought coming, when's he going to shut up? When's this going to be over? I think this is stupid. Come straight back to your breath and let that thought go and just put your attention on your breath again. See, your breath becomes almost your way of disciplining your mind. When your mind starts to think about something, back to your breath. Just being fully present to your breath. With your mind not involved. 
using your breath to draw yourself back into the present moment. Okay, you can stop and open your eyes. That is all it is. It's be still and know that I am God. You're simply knowing the loving presence in the present moment. You are connecting to the loving presence in the present moment. And the thing that takes you away from that is your mind. You've got to use your mind all the time. I mean, I I couldn't even negotiate my way to a cup of coffee without using my mind. But to practice moving out of your mind into the present moment is to practice being open-hearted. And when you do that, suddenly you turn around and you're not making judgments. Suddenly you turn around and you're loving, you have compassion. And to practice doing that is to practice open-heartedness.
So just invite you to engage your hearts as we just think about our world. The difference it makes for us to be conduits of love in a world so needy of love. We think about those who are not able to sometimes reflect in the way that we are because of the extremity of their situation. We continue to think about people suffering from floods, from hurricanes, from fires, from earthquakes, desperately keeping themselves alive, first responders being there. Think about people living in unjust regimes, surviving day to day. People in prisons. People despairing. Suicidal. Our decision to love is the decision to support those people. Think about those who are in hospital, ill, those who are hungry, homeless, all those less fortunate than ourselves. And we commit to that way of love for them. And we think about those in our own community who have asked to be mentioned, Patricia Hill, Father Joseph Boyle, Martha Martin, Sophie Layton, and Soleil Untenher. We pray that our love will affect them. We ask that divine spirit, that healing nature to visit them wherever they are. Amen.